Welcome back to Awakening to Golf. It's Monday, July 26th, and we're here in episode four of our Peak Performance Through Empowered Mindset series. This week we're going to talk about practice principles, what I call proper practice principles. Basically, what's the best way to practice? So in coaching 30 years, very few people I see when they go practice, practice efficiently. It's a big drawback to their overall success. And today we're going to cover a couple of topics about those. Uh, Basics of good practice and then mindsets of practice, which would be uh, the two mindsets we're going to talk about. Process-oriented practice and outcome-oriented practice. This last week I had... uh, Quite a few texts and uh, emails from players telling me about their successes, so I wanted to pass on a couple of those to you. Uh, first one here is from Darren, who very busy person here since he works for the Padre organization. Um, so the Padres are in there having a great season so far, he, um, and it's really good to hear from him because I know his ability to practice is limited. He does practice more in the winter than he is the, the summer. But he says, what's up, Al? Just checking in with you. I feel like I'm playing the best golf of my career. Eight of my last nine rounds in the 70s. I know that the one round that was above the 70s, he had just played Torrey Pines after the U.S. Open was there. So really encouraging to see him playing uh, much better golf. Another uh, text came to me from one of my students, John. Uh, My four rounds after our last lesson... I think I've moved up a shelf. His score is 77, 77, 83, 79. So moved up a shelf. So if you've been listening to the series, we're talking about where your golf game sits. And my example of people is if you're looking at a wall in front of you and there are shelves on the wall, let's say there's 10 shelves, the example I'm giving people is you're currently set on the fourth shelf. And the goal to play better golf is slowly, incrementally work your way up the wall. So based on his uh, text to me, he basically says he believes he's moving up now to the fifth shelf. And that came from listening to the podcast. Uh, We had an uh, in-studio lesson. We worked on a couple things. Uh, So really happy to see uh, John improve. Uh, he's a great, uh, very good player, very consistent player. Uh, like any golfer, we're all going to get frustrated at times. And the more that uh, we understand our game, the easier it is to fix things. Last week, we talked about the pre-shot routine. So I hope you have had a chance to work at your own. You may not have had too much time to work at it, but as we know, uh, Will O'Farrell and I talked about that. Will was our special guest. I got a lot of good uh, feedback from people, especially from people, a couple from Canada, uh, wrote into me since uh, uh, Will is from Canada. Um, but my point in last week's episode was to encourage you to create a pre-shot routine. So if you've not heard that episode, I definitely encourage you to do that. And then the routine really is your routine. So you just have to come up with a way to uh, assess situations, look over your shot, determine the shot you want, pick the club you want, have a game plan for the shot you're going to have, and we'll overall, of course, commit to it. And as the mindset series goes on and on, we'll talk about we can't have a lot of cluttered thoughts. So we want to be able to commit to that pre-shot routine and own it. 
we had a there's a free uh, PDF book you can download from my website alowenscoaching.com where the seven principles of the pre-shot routine you can download for free my best-selling book awakening to golf is also on there you can uh, locate that on my website or through Amazon so we're gonna split this uh, session into two main parts the next part we'll talk about um, process-oriented practice, and then we'll go into outcome-oriented. Um, so process is basically, uh, I would call it, what's the function, what's the functionality of what someone is doing in their in their practice session. Outcome-oriented is really using your pre-shot routine while you're on the range, and rather than you get uh, 10 balls to hit, you get one in outcome-oriented. It's something that I've learned to be able to do with a lot of people in the studio, uh, although we're in simulators, we start to get people to understand how visual golf can be. And although people say I'm hitting the ball to a net, I can't see it. The flight monitor allows you to see the ball flight. And when it comes down to it, your imagination is the key to good golf. Like if you're watching Bubba Watson play golf, really never had a lesson in his life. And he's basically he can visually see balls. He's a lefty, of course. He can see balls moving right to left or left to right. He's developed ways to feel those shots. He can't feel it unless he imagines it. So he's got a very active mind. Uh, you'll often hear uh, Phil Mickelson talk about this. You know, you just your imagination is the key to anything. You, so in our golf game, when it comes to outcome-oriented practice we have to use our mind a little bit better but in our next segment we'll talk about process oriented practice uh, it's a good little area um, definitely it kind of these two areas will teach you or in we'll call it encourage you to split up how you practice um, talk about how much how much how many golf balls you should actually hit uh, we definitely have to go practice with a purpose so we'll come back from the break and start our next segment process-oriented practice. Welcome back to Awakening to Golf. So let's move forward to process-oriented practice. Process-oriented practice basically is what you as a golfer probably already know and do. You may not know the wording for that I use, but process-oriented practice is you're going to go to the practice range and you're going to practice. So when I go to where, when I'm giving playing lessons with uh, students and I see them warming up, I'll obviously observe others warm up on a range. So one day, about four months ago, I was at a course in Escondido, California here. And the range, very busy. I mean, got to be 35 to 40 stations in it and one to two deep waiting, people waiting to get on. Um, and they're on mats, can't, you know, here in California, Southern California, growing grass is an art, and so many golfers, so there's a lot of ranges that have mats. Um, coming from the Midwest, uh, definitely, uh, you don't really see that, that many mats, but that's just a water shortage here in California, and that's the fact. So these players are on mats, and I go down there, I'm just like walking the whole uh, range area. 35 stations, what percentage of golfer has a driver in their hand? Over 50% easily. 
What percentage of people have alignment sticks on the mat? Out of 35, I believe that day I saw three with alignment sticks. So many times people, when they're on a mat, they assume because the mat is square and it's pointed somewhere that their body is parallel or lined up to a target. So as we all know as golfers, because if you're listening to this podcast, you're an avid golfer. We all know that in hitting golf shots, our feet, hips, and shoulders have to be parallel to our target line for a standard good shot. So to do that, we have to have alignment rods. One rod would be pointed down the target line, the other one along your foot line. And Obviously, when you're on a range, you'll see some people using their iPhone to film themselves, which is good because you always want to be checking things. So on a range, do people really use alignment rods? No. Another way to use alignment rods just besides your body alignment would be ball position. So if you're working with an instructor or let's say you're uh, watching YouTube series, however you're learning golf, you're finding you have some theory of where ball position should be, whether it's a nine iron, a five iron, a hybrid, or a driver. But most people, when they practice, they don't use any, any tool to help them associate where the ball is positioned. So like with my students, I encourage them to, where the ball is, take an alignment rod, put it down between your feet so you're, you're able to make a consistent ball position placement with every club you're hitting. When you go to a tour event, no matter what tour it is, you'll always see uh, professional golfers use alignment rods. This is because they want to make money. And their caddy is going to make sure they have an alignment rod too because uh, they want paid. So alignment is a huge thing when it comes to uh, process-oriented practice. So when we go to the range, we have to have intention of what we're going to do. We just don't want to go to the range and just haphazardly start hitting golf balls. It's good exercise, but it's doing nothing for your golf game. So I encourage most people to hit uh, 60 to 80 golf balls on on a range. It takes probably 45 minutes to an hour. Uh, In those 60 to 80 balls, 5 to 10, you're going to warm up and hit wedges and then maybe a short iron. You're just trying to stretch yourself out. So many people, even when I give lessons, I'll see people hit their first two or three shots uh, inside our teaching bay, and they're appalled at the shot they've made, their their third shot. Well, you're not even warmed up. So when you're on a range, warm up. Take five to ten balls to take your time, warm up. You're obviously stretching between shots. When you're warming up, you're just trying to make solid contact. Have a good alignment, have a good ball position. Stretch yourself out, hit the ball on the center of the face. So once you're warmed up, then I would tell people, use your alignment rods to make sure that you are aligned to your target. And when you're on a practice range, many people I notice go to the same spot on the range every week. So you could be one person that has a, let's call it a favorite stall on a range that you like going to, which is fine. Nothing wrong with that. I mean, If you're in that stall or that area, make sure you're using alignment rods so your feet, hips, and shoulders are aligned parallel to the target line you've picked. That means when you're on the range, you have to pick a target line you're hitting towards. Plenty of targets out there. Some ranges are better than others. Some ranges have really good targets to hit to, and some have awful uh, targets to hit to. Years ago, when I was... 
a director of golf and a general manager involved in creating literally two practice ranges, three overall, uh, where the targets were set, where pins were set. I mean, it was, a, it was a big part of the installation process. So we want to practice and get ourselves aligned correctly. Use your alignment stick and just get used to that. Now I'll add here that uh, as part of alignment, when you know when you go practice. Don't go to this. You're obviously, you're used to one station, but you get really tied into things and you get, you're not used to seeing things across the range. So I would tell anyone, if one day you were in the middle of the range, the next time you go there, go to the right side of the range and hit across the range to different targets. That means you're going to have to move your alignment sticks across that square mat, and that's going to look and feel very uncomfortable. Now, for the average right-handed player... They would be right eye dominant. So they would feel much more comfortable moving to the left side of the range and hitting to the middle of the range. It's just easier to see. If you're a right-handed player and right eye dominant, when you go to the right side of the range and have to swing across your eye line, across your nose to the middle of it, you'll find that that would feel very uncomfortable. So your mind... When you're playing golf, you're, you're basically playing on the perception of the reality that you have. So you have to practice that visual perception on the range. You can't just always go to one mat or one station and think you're going to constantly do it well because you won't. Many times when I'm on, on the course with playing lessons, there's a left pin. The person's hit the ball to the right side of the fairway. That means they have to obviously hit across the fairway to a left pin. And I'm not suggesting you're firing at the pin because you should be firing probably to the middle of the green. But for the most part, most golfers, easily over 70% of golfers align too far right when they play right-handers. So you have to practice that. That's my point here in process-oriented practice. So next part in process-oriented practice, we have to have intention of the day. So when you go to the practice range, you have to have intention. Why am I going to the range? I'm not just going to beat ball after ball. So most golfers who are playing golf probably slice it. And that's, you know, once they're, they're always working at trying to fix the slice. So lower body sway, your body, if you're a right-handed golfer, your body would sway too far to the, to the right. So let's say you're a swear. This is just a, a example of what you would do going to the range. So... Let's say I'm trying to reduce my sway. I'm going to work 20 to 30 shots on specifically reducing my sway, which means I have to turn my right hip behind me. I have to be able to feel what I'm doing. And if you're taking golf lessons with an instructor, you, know, you definitely want to, whatever they're telling you, you want to find the feel and understanding of what's happening when you're being instructed because you're responsible for taking that feel to the range. So... In process-oriented practice, 20 to 30 shots working on that. That's my example for the day is, is the sway. So your mind uh, is used to a subconscious program of the swing that you have. So if I'm a swayer, your mind is used to creating the sway. Every time you put a ball down, your subconscious mind wants to go back to the pattern, the mental pattern it has, which is the habit of the swing. So to change that pattern, you have to be able to, in what we call process-oriented practice, make practice swings without the ball. I tell people, put two balls down or to put two tees down and swing between those two 
as it's a simulated swing. When you're swinging between those two, you're not, you're not swinging at a ball. You're focusing on the motion that you're working on. This is very important because your, when a ball is there, your subconscious mind is going to take over and say, oh, ball here, here's, we're going to hit it like we normally do. So in process-oriented practice, you have to be able to make the correct motion you're working on, that intention for the day, without a ball. And this is why people can improve their game much faster at home. You can visualize it. You can work on, on the motion. You know, so, and we'll get into that later on in the series here in August and September. But the point here is when you're on the range, have an intention and work on it. I tell people, you know, if you're really struggling, struggling with the issue you're working on, make one to two good practice swings and then hit the ball based on the intention you have. Many people, the, the problem I see with people, they go to the range, they have an intention probably, they start to make a swing and their old swing pattern takes over. So they hit a shot, they don't like it. And what, is, what does everyone see golfers do on the range? Because everyone listening to this has seen this happen. The person will rake the next ball in immediately and hit another shot. Because they're telling their mind, okay, I'm not gonna do that again. But you're not focused on the motion or what I call the motor pattern of the swing. So the last thing you want to do is start raking in ball after ball. You must have an intention of what you're working on. So you have to be patient when you're practicing. So years ago when I lived in uh, Sacramento, when I was working on a major swing change, literally the baskets they sold there on Sundays were 55 balls. I'd be there for an hour and a half. And when I was learning, trying to work on what I would call a, a major change to my swing, this let's call it the sway because that's that's the topic, I would easily make two swings without the ball, feeling that swing, and then hit one. I'm not concerned about the strike or the, the perfect strike. I'm focused on the motion that I'm working on. So the more that you work on the motion or the intention you have, the more deliberate your practice will become and the better you'll get. My point here is when you have process-oriented practice, you're going to practice in a process. You can't get ahead of yourself. You must have intention. And obviously, we have to have alignment, ball position, all these musts, all the boring things you hear people talk about, which is posture, grip, alignment, ball position. I know, yada, yada, yada. I mean, it's so boring to hear, but tour players, that's what they're doing. They get to a new event, and on Mondays, if, or maybe they're a right Monday afternoon because they've come from a Sunday event. They just, they're hitting golf balls, they're warming up, they're just working on their basics. You know? So b- ball position, alignment, those are the things. On a range, pick 20 to 30 balls with your intention, work on that. You know, chip away at it. You're not going to jump to the sixth shelf from the fourth shelf on a range. So work on it. You don't have to hit a lot of golf balls. Many people, when they'll buy, they'll buy a bucket of 200 golf balls, and you're exhausted after 60 or 70. So when you're exhausted, the motor pattern or the swing pattern you're working on is just going right out the window. You're much better off being deliberate in what you do to make incremental changes. Nothing is going to happen overnight. And you just go there with one intention. You know, Own that intention. Own that process that you're going to work on that day. And then when you've gone through your 20 or 30 shots with that, then warm down. Take your last 10 to 15 shots. Maybe pick a target that you want to hit at. I would tell people, start with your favorite club to hit it towards it. Easier, you know, most people are going to hit a, a shorter iron to mid iron, much more efficient than they are a longer iron. 
uh, for various different reasons, just in, in the golf, just how the, how the golf swing works. So when you warm down, pick a target uh, and, uh, you know, just hit towards that. Use your alignment sticks, things like that. So that this whole is- topic here is process-oriented practice. You'd be going to the range simply working this process orientation of the practice. Now, our next segment, we're going to talk about outcome-oriented practice, which would be a completely separate time. You'd have to go to the range and do this next segment at a different time. When you start to get good at both of them, you could probably combine them. But at first, you you can't do that. So this next segment, we'll talk about outcome-oriented practice. Welcome back to Awakening to Golf. Okay, so let's move on to outcome-oriented practice. Simply put, outcome-oriented practice is you're going to the practice range to work on creating the shot you desire to see on a golf course. You're going to go to the range and you are very determined to hit the ball towards a target. So to hit the ball towards a target, we're going to have to have intention. And we're going to have to pick a target. So it doesn't really matter what target you pick. And at first, I would tell people in outcome-oriented practice, find a target that's with a club that's easy to hit. Could be easy, easy to hit a ball to an 80-yard target or 100 or 120. You know, 140 or 50 for some golfers might be a lot. So find a target that's comfortable for you. When you go to the range, let's say you've, let's say Monday you worked on process-oriented. Uh, let's say you're an avid golfer. You, you got pretty good with it on Monday. You went back on Wednesday evening, worked process again. The pattern of the swing or the, the, the focus of the swing technique you're working on is getting better. And by Friday, because you have a match, you're going to play with your buddies on, on the weekend, Friday afternoon, maybe after work or Friday morning before work, you're going to go to the range and work on outcome-oriented. So in outcome-oriented practice, you want to be able to warm up just like you would in, in uh, process-oriented. So... As you stretch out, hit some shots, use alignment sticks as you hit towards a target, warm up, try to hit the ball solid like you would do anything else. You're not so concerned about the exact target at this point, but you are concerned about alignment, ball position, warming up, make solid strikes. And that should take uh, anywhere from 5 to 10. It could take up to 15 shots to get warmed up uh, where you're striking the ball fairly well. And then we're going to go into outcome-oriented. Okay, so let's say the target is going to be 120 yards, and the club could be, who knows what the club is. Let's say it's a pitching wedge for you. For some people, it could be a sand wedge. Some, some people, it could be a, you know an eight or seven iron. It doesn't really matter what the club is, but 120 yards. And now we're going to take the alignment rods away, and we're going to go into our, and use our pre-shot routine for these. So you've warmed up, and you've had a little bucket of, you know, stack of balls there, and you've warmed up hitting, let's say, 10, 15, or 20 balls, alignment rod to a target. Now you take the alignment rod away, and you're still hitting to your target. So outcome-oriented practice is designed to teach you how to use a pre-shot routine one shot at a time to a target. One shot. You only get one shot of this. You don't get 10. So what I tell people in an outcome-oriented practice, you're going to take your golf bag, Put it near the tee that you're practicing on. And let's say it's 120 yards and I'm going to use my pitching wedge to hit it. 
So I'm going to put the club back in the bag and go through my pre-shot routine for every single shot to the 120-yard target. Now, we can't use an alignment rod because you're basically simulating what's happening on the golf course. So when you're, this is why last week's episode was so important because it encouraged you to develop a pre-shot routine. But as we know, most golfers don't have one and most golfers for sure never practice it, which is what outcome-oriented practice is. Outcome-oriented practice is using the pre-shot routine on a range to a specific target one shot at a time. So you can just imagine that you're not going to go through 100 golf balls on a range in outcome-oriented practice. So that means it's 120 yards. I'm going to go to my bag, pull out my pitching wedge, go through the routine that we talked about before. We've already selected the club. I'm going to stand behind the ball, visualize my shot, get comfortable with the shot I've chosen. And as we talked about last week, once you step forward into the ball, you're, you're committed. So it's, this whole outcome-oriented practice is teaching you how to use a pre-shot routine to a target on the range. So we step in. You don't have an alignment stick, so you have to kind of you know, visually check your ball position, make sure uh, you're close to being right. When you do it on a range, on a, on a square mat, it can become easy to be uh, consistent. But just because... You could do it with uh, the alignment rods and process oriented. It doesn't mean an outcome oriented. You'd always do it correct. That's why you always go back to checking things on process oriented in a separate session. But for this session, we're on the range. We've got a bucket of 60 balls and we're hitting two specific targets. Stand over the ball, commit to our target, hit the shot. And then you get to observe. You know, so in observation, did we hit the target? Was it right? Was it left? You have to kind of go back, and you're going to put the, ball, the club back, back in the bag. You're going to go through the pre-shot routine. Now, one of the things when you do this that you'll discover is the, the chatter that in your, is in your mind when you work on this outcome-oriented process is enormous. Many people are shocked to try to listen and find out. They start listening to what they're telling themselves because it's hard to focus 30 shots with a pre-shot routine. Just imagine yourself on a range. You put the club back. You stand behind the ball. Everyone else around you is hitting ball after ball, raking it in one after the other. You're back there one shot at a time. Make the grip. Pick the club. Step into the shot. They've hit six balls, and you've hit one. So the time it's going to take will be longer so you won't need a lot of golf balls. You need as much balls as you can to warm up. You hit towards the 120-yard marker. And then let's say, okay, I'm, let's say you're doing pretty well with it. You get bored. Okay, I'm going to go to the 150-yard marker or the 141. Going to be in a little different direction across the range. So it's not going to be probably right in front of you. You have to be cognizant of your alignment. So like in last week's episode, we talked about finding an intermediate target in front of you. And that's something you have to practice. But when you're on the range, change it to another club, you do the same thing. It's a different club, but the same process. So outcome-oriented practice is designed to teach you to implement the pre-shot routine. So why is this important? 
Because when you're, and like I'll do this challenge with people in, uh, in the simulator in a bay, and let's say I've picked a uh, target, there's a certain course that I like picking on the simulator to a certain target that happens to be about 155 yards, and I give them 10 balls, and I'm asking them, challenging them to see, let's see how many of the 10 you can hit on, on, the, on the green. And I mean carry onto the green. When people play golf, they may know their distance, but they don't really know their carry. So when you're doing these uh, outcome-oriented practice shots, you're working to hit the ball to a carry distance. If you know how far you carry the ball to a target based on conditions, if it's soft, you know it won't roll out. If it's hard, you, know, you will know it. it. It won't roll out. But most people don't know how far they carry the ball to a certain spot with their standard swing. So we're not trying to tell you to soften the shot or swing harder. This would be what a tour player would be say, this is my stock carry shot. So you work at that. On the range, you may be able to, in an outcome-oriented session, go to one, maybe two, three targets. That would be an awful lot in one sitting. So you could, I just tell people, let's say like in the Bay, when I'm telling people to do this, they'll pick, we'll pick 10 shots at first. Can I hit five of 10 or more onto the green, landed on the green? And at first, when people start this, they don't do very well. Um, you know, the, the swing will get rushed and things like that. So I may dial it down and say, okay, let's just do five shots. Can we get three of five to our target? And like I mentioned earlier, as you go through this with your pre-shot routine and you hit to a specific target of 120 yards or 150 yards, you'll start to notice the chatter that is in your mind as you step in the ball. Most golfers, just if they hit a bad shot, they just want to rake another ball in. But you have to have deliberate intent of what you're doing in golf to play good golf. Remember, this whole series is on the mindset of golf. We're not talking golf technique and your swing and this, that, and the other thing. Bubba Watson is just up there visualizing it's going to fade 20 yards because he hits big fades and draws. He just visualizes it all. So in outcome-oriented practice, there's a lot of visualization. There's a lot of intention. And, of course, there's a lot of patience. And when you practice outcome-oriented practice, you will certainly understand that you have a lot of conflicting thoughts when you hit shots. So as you do outcome-oriented practice on a range more and more, your confidence will build. Build the point so much that if you start to be able to hit three or four or five of five shots on the green from 120 yards in process-oriented practice on the range, and now it's Saturday morning and you're out there with your friends and you're out there at 121 yards and you're going, well, dude, I nailed this all week at the range. You'll be excited to hit it. But you wouldn't be excited to hit it if you hadn't really practiced it with a purpose. And that's what outcome-oriented practice is. So there's two types of practice. Both need diligence and focus. The outcome-oriented one is designed to help you when you perform on the course. And it's challenging to do if you've never done it before. So you have to be patient with yourself and you can't rush through it. You know, for you to put the club back in the back and go through a pre-shot routine every time, you'll find that you don't have the patience for it. 
The ball will be there. You've already picked the club. You'll tell yourself, I already know. I don't need to go through the pre-shot routine again. But you do because you're trying to find a routine that helps you quiet your mind. It's repetitive. So your subconscious mind has something to focus on. And in this outcome-oriented practice, you start to learn that, okay, I'm trying to hit it towards a, 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 a green. You'll start to become more aware of parts of the green you like hitting it to. Some people who are drawers of the ball, they'll pick uh, a spot landing right of the pin. People who are faders, they may pick a spot left of the pin. So as you do this, you'll, you'll evolve in how you look at it. But the point here is outcome-oriented practice is something that helps you to take the pre-shot routine to a range. And of course, it teaches you to learn how to hit one shot at a time, and you are accountable for that shot. In the outcome-oriented practice with five shots, your first two, you, you may fail. Exactly. I mean, when I do the challenge with people in, in my base, they'll, they'll get the point they've hit, let's say, one of two, then two of three, and they know, okay, we've two shots left to be over 50%, three of five. And the next shot, normally most people will fail at. They get all excited, right? And then they miss the shot, and then, then they put even more pressure on themselves. It's like... Well, now I only have one shot left. So you go at your own pace and you'll learn mentally what you're thinking. You'll feel the anxiety and you'll start to understand more of how you're reacting in certain certain situations. You're only going to know when you practice the outcome oriented and you'll become more just efficient in how you go about things. So outcome oriented practice is a very essential part of practice that will help anyone start to uh, lower the score under 85, under 80, under 75. It takes a lot of deliberate intent. You may have a good swing, but if you don't have a good pre-shot routine and you don't have, you haven't practiced outcome-oriented or oriented shots, you don't have much intention or visualization, your game can only be so good. So practicing this will start to empower you to play better golf. Welcome back to Awakening to Golf. So proper practice principles are very important for anyone's golf game. So I really encourage you to uh, re-listen to uh, pods two and three in this whole podcast. It helps you to uh, help your purpose when you go practice. And the better you practice with purpose, the easier you can take your golf game to the golf course. So next week, we're going to talk about why is the mind the hub of the wheel of the golf game? Everyone knows that they take lessons, they're on YouTube, they're reading books, and they're all talking about the swing, the swing, the swing. But if you're watching social media uh, lately, you hear many, many more players talk about the mind and how they're playing golf. Uh, so the mind has everything to do with how you're going to play. I mean, sure, you have to have an efficient swing. You don't have to have a perfect swing. You just have to have a repeating swing. And if we have a, a fairly repeating swing, that's basically what you need in golf. It could be, you could hit a, a repeating fade. You could hit a repeating draw. It doesn't have to be perfect. But the mind really is the hub of the wheel of what's going to empower you to start to lower your score. So we're going to start to dig into that next week. And then the mindset series will move on to competition Another series, a session we'll have on on-course playing and strategy. 
and then we're going to get into uh, meditation and why that's important. I actually had a a player, a very good player. He's a plus 1.6 handicap this week. Uh, come to me for the first time. Uh, very successful business person. Knows several tour players here in the San Diego area. And we got into, I was evaluating a swing and looking at it. And he has a very good swing. Kind of a, you know, he practices a lot and kind of saves things with his hands a lot. Uh, but he gets the job done, has a phenomenal short game. So, I mean, everyone knows 60% of golf is from 60, uh, 60 yards in. So he's a great chipper and putter. But he wasn't really happy with his swing. So starting to work on some things for him there. But we got into a conversation about meditation. Uh, just because in, the, in my evaluation with him, he dropped the words about uh, meditation, things like that. So I did ask him, you know, when you were building your businesses, because he's gone, he has several he's working on now. He had built several before. And I asked him, do you use meditation to help you with your business building? He goes, well, absolutely. I know how to meditate. I know how to find the void. And when I find the void, I create my reality. And I asked him, do you do that with your golf game as much as you do your business? He goes, no, you know, I don't. I, I'm more technical, probably too technical in my golf game. Uh, and I really should kind of free my mind up. Uh, so later in our mindset series, we're going to get into this. And this is why I earlier in the series, I recommended Dr. Joe Dispenza's book, Becoming Supernatural, because it explains to you how the mind works. Uh, how to do meditation, uh, things like that. And it's just gives you, his book gives you simple ways to learn to meditate. You don't have to be a guru to meditate, but as this whole series is suggesting to you, your mind has a lot to do much more with your golf game than you, than you think. So next week we'll talk about why is the mind the hub of the wheel? We'll get into uh, conversations about the subconscious and conscious patterns that people have. Um, and help you. It just helps to learn, understand more and more about the habits you use that you're probably not aware of. And if you become more aware of your thoughts and how you're using them and how they may be actually disempowering what you do, then my job is to kind of make you aware of what thought patterns people have, what habits do they have when they're thinking and playing. Are those empowering thoughts or are they disempowering thoughts? So next week, We'll get to that, but so thankful for you to listen again for uh, this week, uh, process-oriented practice, outcome-oriented practice. I definitely encourage you to uh, work at these. Um, as we all know, good golf comes from intention of where we want the ball to go. So we have to have a, a direct intention of what we're doing. We can't just haphazardly go up there and hit ball after ball. So in a practice range, that's certainly what you'll find. Even in process-oriented, you have to have the intention. And obviously, in outcome-oriented, you definitely have to have uh, the intention. And when you start to do it, you'll be kind of amazed to hear, to start to observe the chatter you have in your mind. Uh, so be, don't be judgmental upon yourself. Observe and just, just observe and see what you're thinking when you get into uh, outcome-oriented practice. It's challenging to do it first once you get the hang of it and you start to do these little uh, three-shot or five-shot or ten-shot challenges, you know, people who are competitive, they start to really like it. And, they, and then they really want to take it to the course. They're, like, excited to take it because, hey, I can do it on the range. I'm going to take it to the course, and I'm going to nail it. And then my buddies are going to go, like, whoa, where did this come from? 
So that's what we want. We want more, you know, whoa, where did that come from uh, in your golf game? Because although we've got a couple conversations that, you know, texts that I've, uh, and emails I've written or told you about today with people moving from the fourth to the fifth shelf, ultimately me, ultimately my goal with you, move you from the shelf you're on to a higher shelf and a higher one. So you find more joy, more fun, more pleasure in this great game of golf. So until next week, thanks for listening, and we'll chat at you next week.